Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good minded Billy. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, if you don't get the breaks of the ball, Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the latest Here We Go podcast. We have the grim task of picking over the bones of a pretty um, pretty miserable week, pretty gruesome week, and we'll look at how one of the more forensic Don's minds around to help us do that. It's a warm welcome back to Chris Crichton, editor of the Red Final. How are you doing, Chris? Oh, that was me, okay. <laughs> indeed, indeed. One. How have you been coping with life under uh, Central Belt Lockdown, part two? It's, it's not so bad, it's, it's for the greater good, and uh, we've actually had... Uh, a couple of months ago, we had uh, a COVID case in the house. Um, so it's, you know, when, when something like that happens, you you realise the uh, the importance of it and try not to, to pass it on to anyone else, which we managed to do. So that's, uh, that's what needs to be done. So on to not just the last week, but let's take a look back at, in fact, the whole month, Martin, because I think it tells us quite a lot about uh, the team November. When we looked at the fixtures, we thought it might so what we've shown is we're good enough to take care of Hibs fairly comfortably, not good enough to challenge the top two, and lacking the genuine squad depth to overcome pretty tricky, always quite tricky games, but very very winnable games like the ones we've uh, we've seen this week. It really is. It does highlight um, the, something about the squad depth. I mean, we were very, very positive about the squad when we looked at it. Um, at the beginning of the season, and you, know, you understand injuries. You know, injuries will happen. You know, suspensions will happen. Unfortunately, we will find ourselves now. You know, COVID uh, restrictions, whatever you want to call it, will happen as well. Um, and it's just been. Um, I don't want to say a perfect storm, but it just seems to be that you no, know, these things always happen when you get you get an injury. You no, know, McGee it could go and down, and then it happens. You, know, you find yourself McCrory and Ferguson being missing as well. I know, and I I don't think the no, McKenna leaving as well was one which has obviously left us exposed to, um, despite the fact that Tommy Hoban came in. Um, and it really has left us looking very short. Um, no, central midfield isn't looking, you know, depth-wise as great as it was. I mean, the thing is, you no, know, I mean, I'm sure we'll come to that when we talk about the upcoming game. You no, know, when when Ferguson and McCrory are back, um, you no, know, everything is suddenly rosy again. But um, in the in the short term. Um, it has left us looking, you know, looking very short, and it's it's exposed that what we thought was actually a, a strength in the team isn't actually as strong as we wanted it to be. Yeah, Chris, uh, were we naive, um, or did you share the, the belief that we did we had been building up quite a, a decent squad ahead of the season, and are quite surprised at how indeed shallow it uh, looked. Um, I, I think, in some respects, it's it is fair to say that. Um, 
that it's a, a whole pile of circumstances coming one on top of the other has uh, has left much less on the table than than ought to have been the case. But if you look at the, the, the nature of the the players who've been missing for the last week, I mean, it is. If you look at the midfield three, the two kind of sitting midfielders in the number ten position as a whole, um, the team's been without its entire midfield three and the person who you would consider to be the next man up. So Ferguson, McCrory and Scott Wright would be the three in possession of those uh, jerseys in the first 11. McGeeich would be the, the first uh, the first reserve. So I think when you take the, the first, the leading four options for a midfield three out from any team's squad, they are going to struggle. I think what's been a disappointment is, you know, it, it's still a squad to which significant uh, resource has been uh, has been put in, and even without those players who've been missing for the last week, you've got a £250,000 central midfielder in Ojo coming in, you've got a very expensive uh, wing-back in Hernandez still sitting on the bench, unused. Um, Kennedy has come back into the side, another player who was purchased a transfer fee, an international player. So the, the players who've come in to replace those who've, who've gone out, on paper, it remains a strong side. The issue, I think, is not with the strength of the squad. It's with the fact that the players who um, who come with that billing haven't been playing up to it. Um, so that that is a different uh, a, a different issue. That's an issue of perhaps talent identification or form, um, or people simply not fitting into the roles that they are being asked to play, as opposed to the construction of a squad which is just fundamentally short in certain areas. I think the, the the depth of the squad in terms of both quality and quantity on paper remains uh, at least as good, if not better, than uh, than it ought to be for a club that has the, the kind of targets that Aberdeen have got this season. Um, we're just we're watching players who are falling short of the standards that, that should be expected of them. We made a big play on the After Show podcast on Saturday, Chris, about how Individuals lost their battles against their opposite number. And I felt that the sort of lack of combativeness in the midfield as well was a, was a key factor. And more than that, I do worry about just the general leadership. Obviously, we've spoken before about captaincy, and I don't actually think captaincy is that important. But I think when it comes to leadership, I, I, you know, I do think that you need someone in the centre of that park who is going to be rallying the troops, is going to be getting in the referee's ear, all these things which we, you know, we like to think of inconsequential, but do actually make a difference. And I think that's partly a, a function of having stand-ins in that position, if you like. I mean, if you if you were to wind back to the start of last season, um, Ojo probably is a player that people would have imagined fulfilling that type of role when he came in with you know, the, the kind of profile that he uh, that he brought with him and the transfer fee and you know the fact that we'd um, been competing with Hebs over his signature that you know is probably something that we would have we would have been asking of him but when you find yourself in the kind of situation that he's been in i.e. hasn't lived up to the the price tag got a bit of stick from the fans down the pecking order behind players who have really been uh, excelling in his position. It is difficult to come into a situation like that and impose yourself on on the team and on the match situation. 
Um, so in, in that respect, you have to feel a bit sorry for, for players like himself and Dean Campbell and Greg Lee and all of these other players who have been pitched into that uh, that kind of situation and, and being expected to uh, to pull the team forward with the force of their own character. I mean, the, the players that, you know, it, it's no secret, Aberdeen miss Lewis Ferguson and they miss Ross McCrory. Of course they do. They're two excellent players. They work really well as a partnership. They have all of those things that, that you've mentioned and more. Um, and yes, when they come back into the team, it will look completely different. Um, does that then have a, a separate question of are we overly reliant on those players or, well, I would argue that that every team in the world relies on its best players. That's what competitive sport is about. Um, if, if you're looking for the guys who are further down the pecking order to come into the side and offer exactly the same things as the ones who are uh, in possession of the first team jerseys, then that's always going to be a bit of a stretch because if, if they had that capacity to them, then they would probably be doing it for a different team rather than sitting on our bench. Um, so it's... To some extent, you're you're attempting to judge people by other people's standards, and it it, it really it speaks to the excellence of Ferguson and McCrory. Really, um, how difficult it, it is to to replace them in the side. But I certainly agree that in their absence, in the three games uh, over the last week, there's been a definite kind of weakness, um, an almost kind of deferential look about the team, which it certainly will not be the case when they are restored to the midfield. Martin, we made uh, we made big play of it uh, again, just feeling like a performance from last season, uh, Saturday Night's Display uh, and the podcast on on Saturday. Do you still think that's a fair assessment a few days on? Uh, I, I, well, I've had a few days to calm down. I think I, I think perhaps we maybe went a little bit, no, I maybe went, I was a little bit, a little bit, a tiny bit too far. I do think there was, there was certainly shades of performances that we saw um, in, the, in the previous season as well. Obviously, the, ra- the rage was still very strong because we recorded it five minutes after the final whistle. Um, but I do think that it, it did hark back to, the, to last season and the season before. Where, uh, but like, I, I mean, I, I'm in full agreement with what Chris was saying there as well. You know, I mean, it, you know, we have to. I mean, I don't. I'm not going to make excuses for them, uh, but I do think you no, know, there is there is exceptional circumstances, and you know, there's not a team in our league that you could take their midfield three out of them and they would uh, be able to be able to, to 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 beat the other beat some of the other teams. It's simple as that. I mean no none of us are none of us are sort of Man City or Liverpool where we can afford to make five or six changes um, and still you no know, sweep aside teams that we see as beneath us. Um, and you know and we know fine in the the Premier League that any team is you know we're we already aren't good enough just to turn up and brush these teams aside. Um, I know we've done it in the past uh, but that's not happening at the moment, and whether you no, know, whether we're at full strength or not, uh, you know, the, whether it's the other teams have maybe got a bit wise to how Aberdeen play, uh, whether that's to do with the manager or the players, and um, that's not happening anymore. So, but I do think I do think it does hark back to that. I know we've looked at we've looked at previous games and previous seasons where we've just sort of been disjointed, uh, and I think we maybe were guilty of. I mean, particularly I was maybe guilty of getting a little bit carried away when McCrory and Ferguson formed that partnership in a centre midfield, um, thinking that perhaps that would that it was ju- it wasn't just you know we found a really good partnership there that perhaps the, it was the the rest of the team were were picking up a picking up a level as well. And I think we've maybe just I don't want to say reality check, but I think we've definitely had to have been woken up at a touch. 
This probably feeds into a discussion we're going to have about the upcoming game in Paisley as well, Chris. But I'm thinking back to when St Mirren were at Pataudry and they successfully nullified much better than many other visiting teams had done to that point, our 3-4-3 formation. And it took a change of actual setup to actually get a foothold in that game and win it against what was, coincidentally, a COVID-depleted St Mirren team. Are you surprised that the manager therefore stuck with 3-4-3, especially with the limitations he had in midfield on Saturday? Not necessarily. I think um, I think where Aberdeen are and where they've where they've gone over the last few years and and what their ambition, their stated ambition is going forward. I don't think we're at the stage anymore of of making allowances for or, or allowing our game plan to be dictated to by. Uh, by an opponent such as St Mirren. I mean, I get that we will we'll change our formation occasionally and uh, go into our shell a little bit if we're playing against the Sporting Lisbon or Celtic or what have you. But I think uh, I think it's the right thing to do to to continue to to try and impose yourself on teams in the in the bottom half of the Premiership table and to, to turn up at their ground and say, right, we're Aberdeen. This is how we're going to play, and it's up to you um, to to accommodate that. Um, Obviously, this is the second occasion on which St Mirren have, have answered that question and said, yeah, OK, we, we absolutely know how to do that. And that's great credit to them. Um, I think they, uh, they have great experience in that. They're a, they're a team that, that does successfully attempt to, to nullify um, many of the opponents that they play. Um, and they they would be perfectly happy to be cast in that role. Um, it, it could have, you know, it could have gone the other way. It could have been um, bringing the, that formation to the table for Aberdeen uh, had there been a better performance from the players on the pitch, um, theoretically ought to have set St Mirren on the back foot and, and allowed Aberdeen to, uh, to dictate the terms of play as they have often likes to do in their away fixtures. I mean, you, you can't really have too many arguments with uh, Aberdeen's away record under Derek McInnes. It's it's far and away better than uh, many of his predecessors going all the way back into the, the last century. Um, so he's, I mean, the, the theory was right. Um, and again, the fact that McInnes was willing to uh, accept after the first 45 minutes that, you know, again, he was coming up against an opponent who has every right to play well. You know, teams that you come up against have every right to uh, counteract the way that you're playing, and they have every right to do it well. And when that happens, then you can say, "Okay, we've got a second plan." Um, neither of them particularly worked on this occasion, but I think it was a failure of execution uh, more than of strategy. Well, what then was the bigger indictment on, on the team? The fact that they were so comprehensively outplayed in the first half using their standard formation or the fact that when we decided to match up in the second half, they again couldn't get the upper hand? Well, you have to be worried about both uh, to a certain extent, but I think in, in both cases, again, it comes back to the uh, the obvious point that Aberdeen were, were missing so many of, of the players that would have been so important in either uh, strategy that... Uh, it did become uh, a difficult task. I mean, if, if you're not able to grab a hold of the midfield uh, area and you don't have the real potent running, pacey threat 
from deep that Scott Wright has been offering this season, um, then whichever of the two formations you're playing, it's going to be difficult to to overwhelm an opponent that is fundamentally set up to be uh, to be a solid opponent. Um, so I think. The, the 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 first choice formation is let's not forget one that Aberdeen have not played for more than you know, a dozen games or so. That's been their uh, their go to formation only since August, really. Um, so I don't think we should we should uh, take anything away from from the fact that it, it's worked. I would say surprisingly well uh, up to that point. Um, three. There used to be a point in time where you would see the team sheet come out and people would look at one another and say, oh, it's three at the back. And they would expect disaster to come. And it's actually, it's worked, uh, I would argue, really well for the players that, that we have on the books. Um, and every now and again, that's not going to be the case. And it's it's obviously infinitely more likely that that's going to be the case on days where you don't have the key men in place. Um Again, I suppose it's a it's a kind of chicken and egg situation. Does that then say, okay, we need to be a bit more circumspect? If we know we don't have the key personnel, do we try and change the plan to do something else? That's you know, you, that's what managers are paid for. They make decisions, and some work and some don't. Yeah, no Aberdeen manager in history has actually won uh, a higher percentage of games away from home than Derek McInnes. Um, now, obviously, you've got to factor in that. Uh, the difficulties of travel to some of these places and the impact of home advantage was much, much bigger in the early years of uh, the sport. But uh, still, to be uh, to be beating some of the managers that have um, been in the chair before him is is a good record. Um, the the overall record we probably we probably lose more than uh, a good few managers. Looking back over the numbers, Ian Porterfield. As recently uh, <laughs> as he is regarded, only lost ten only lost four of his thirty nine games away from home, which um, speaks a great deal. That's I think the draws. solidity of uh, <laughs> of Miller McLeish and Leighton, but yeah, um, more draws than wins actually uh, from those yes. thirty eight games. Um, so, but um, yeah, fifty two percent win rate for Derek McInnes uh, away from Petardry. So. That kind of leads me into the question, Martin, because I know that um, you've made your position on the manager very clear. And obviously, after every stumble these days, it is the appropriate social media etiquette that everyone must howl at the moon and, and demand that um, uh, we change manager. Realistically, he's not going to lose his job over this, Martin, is he? He's got a solid relationship with his board. He's got a couple of years on you know, what is believed to be a pretty lucrative contract. How bad do you think it would have to get... And what sort of performance targets do you think have been set for him to reach or not reach this season before you think that any action would be taken? Uh, performance target-wise, I mean, no, and we can only assume, and you, know, you can base it on the things that um, that Derek McInnes comes out and says himself, which is, you know, Ham, tri- reaching ha- trips to Hamden. Uh, so you're looking at semis and finals, uh, and you would ha- you would have to assume that third place in the league. Um, is the bare minimum. Now, I know that we've finished fourth the past two seasons. Um, I think a reasonable excuse can be made for last season with the, with the, the early curtailment of the league um, and then the season before, you know, that was that was no a, 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 what you would call a, a, a KPI failure, I would imagine. Um, but I think that, you know, we would have to be finishing, you know, b- b- lower than fourth um, and if we, if, we, if we go out early in the Scottish Cup, I think I think even then, 
that it would it would take a lot to for the board to to act. Um, and this this comes really from the situation that we know we're currently in with COVID and all that. You know, the the club are the club are. You know, I've, I've said that. You know, there's not a lot of money coming in. They're 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 losing money. There's no crowds coming in. They're not making any cash there. They're, they're I don't think the club can afford to just make a snap judgment. Uh, perhaps maybe, you know, and one that would be ill advised in this in this environment where they have to pay off a manager. And then try and bring somebody in of of a decent standard as well, um, and I think that's that's really the the main part that who who they would bring in would have, would be somebody who would be on similar um, or have ex- similar expectations in terms of wages, uh, tra- transfer fees, or playing budget to Derek McInnes. So, um, you know, in the club, you know, the fans we have de- we have demands as well that you know that are I think are listened to. You know, the club are the club are very keen to tell us that. Um, the wage bill goes up every season. Um, they spend more money on transfers. It seems every every summer. Uh, so I think that there's there's very little chance of of the club getting rid of him um, at the very least before the end of the before the end of this season. Um, and even then, I mean, uh, truthfully, I would be surprised if they did get re- they did re- did replace him. Um, it would it would take, as I said, it would take. I think at least probably a fifth or lower finish in the league, uh, which or Definitely, a non-qualification for Europe would be would be a huge would be seen by not just the club but all the fans would be seen as a huge failure. Uh, and I think you know we've we've seen men, we've seen plenty of Aberdeen managers before um, saying "judge me on the cups." Uh, and with with Derek McInnes, I think that's that's the fairest way. You know, we've got to finals, um, and you know, let's not go over you know, the performances in some of those finals. No, we've got to the finals, which. Um, I think is you no know, not a measure of success because you know success is winning it, but getting to those finals is something that is is to be is is an achievement. Uh, but I, I per, like I say, I per, personally, I can't see him being replaced any time before the end of the season. The club, the club just aren't going to make make us a, a silly judgment, um, given the fact that you know that it would cost a lot of money that the money that the club don't have. Yeah, because it's it's impossible to see the club changing course, particularly with all the special circumstances of this season. And I wonder as well because obviously there aren't any crowds. There is no way other than howling at the moon on social media on which to vent your discontent. I mean, we've often spoken about just uh, what a toxic sludge Dave Cormack's mentions column must be, but after a a defeat like Saturday night, it must be even worse than usual. But, um, you know, realistically, there's not going to be any pressure because of lower than usual attendances or demonstrations outside the main stand. And particularly (laughs) when you think that there is now going to be a genuine financial and sporting reward for finishing third in the league this year. There's just no chance that they're changing course, is there? I really wouldn't have thought so. I think um, whether it whether it would even be justified is a is a conversation that you should really only uh, come into consideration if you think that there's any possibility whatsoever that you would be able to uh, recruit a replacement who is better. And all you need to do is look at um, the. The talk that there is of, of Celtic potentially changing their manager and the names that are at the top of the uh, the list for uh, for the betting for who might replace Neil Lennon and none of those are inspiring choices. This is simply not um, a, a point in time where there is any uh, any name out there who would excite uh, 
the support base who would potentially be able to grab hold of what is at the Tawdry just now and move it further on from from where it currently is. Um, he simply is, whether you fall into the camp of people who would uh, who would jump into that toxic sludge on a Saturday night or not, uh, simple fact of the matter is he is the best man available for the job at the moment. And that being so, uh, there isn't really a conversation to be had. But yeah, I, I totally uh, agree with the, the fact that uh, it would be too much of a, a gamble at this particular point to, to even be thinking in that direction because you know the financial uh, situation that the club and the game is facing is unprecedented. And Aberdeen simply have to ask themselves the question, who gives us the best opportunity to uh, to get into the top three, to get into the European qualification places, to potentially get ourselves uh, into a more advantageous position in the European competitions next year where we could potentially um, not necessarily even need to, to, win match, to win a qualifying match to get into the group stage of the, of the Conference League. Um, and the obvious answer to that is that the you know there is seven years of evidence that you have a man uh, in the job who is is qualified to take us into that place, uh, and it would make no no sense in 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 any respect really in financial sense, in a sporting sense, or in a moral sense um, to to be thinking anything other than that for the immediate future. Well, Martin, as someone who's, as I say on the record, is uh, wanting a change of manager, who would you get in? And I'm not going to let you dodge the question by saying, oh, it's not my job to think of who to come in, because it's not your job to sack the manager either, but you want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, well, that's a that's a, a quite a hot potato, Richard. Um, I've joked before, I know I'm, I am not, I've said on Twitter, that this is not a 100% serious suggestion, but the joke that I've said... I've said the name Tony Cooper, right? And that is not a 100% serious suggestion. What it is, is basically I would like somebody in the, within, from the, that, the ballpark of someone who has not managed in Scotland before. Uh, now, you rely on the club doing the proper due diligence so you don't end up with a Saba Laszlo or one of these type of people, though. That's the thing. Now, I'll be honest, my, my knowledge of you know, European managers out with, you know, the really big names is not great, but like like I'm saying, there's the, I, I I reference somebody like Tony Kumbari as just as a reference of a, a foreign manager who has been at clubs. Yes, he's been at clubs. He struggled. You know, he did well when he was someone. At, at the one opportunity he had at a big club, there is there will there's the, the club's due diligence that they will do should be able to find someone of of that ilk who is a more serious suggestion, of course. Uh, because as you've said, as as Chris said there, you no, know, you're looking at somebody who can come in and galvanise the support and take the most, you no, know, and people will immediately get behind. Tony Kumbari isn't that man. I'm well aware of that, and I would never try and seriously convince anybody that they should. That they should. But you know, names names wise, as long as it isn't the usual sort of merry-go-round of you no know, Scottish British names that we find. Uh, the guys that end up, you know, they, they've been had so many clubs, and they're always a bit of a disaster wherever they go. I mean, thankfully, we're long past. I think we're long past the times of hearing John Hughes, Terry Butcher, this sort of thing. Every time, you know, every time the Aberdeen job comes up, so I'm, I'm relieved that that isn't going to happen. Um, but 
you know, it, it does come down to the fact, you know, and I know that this is something that a lot of us don't have faith in, but you are having to put your, you would have to, do have to put your faith in the club to do the, to, if they were to get rid of the manager, which was said, I don't think they will before May, June anyway, uh, that they would, they would have a, a, have a backup plan. I mean, surely you would imagine that there has been conversations had anyway, if something were to happen. I mean, when Derek was, uh, interviewed interviewed by them, you know, did the, the club must have had a backup plan there. The conversation must have been had. Um, so I think it's it would be naive of us to think that the club have are, haven't thought about this. You know, what if in the in the worst case scenario the manager leaves with no notice? Uh, but I would just personally prefer someone who hasn't been hasn't been on the Scottish football merry-go-round. And like again, like Chris was saying there, you look at the Celtic the Celtic options. You're hearing. You're hearing people like Paul Lambert and these type of guys, the guys who have had like little or no success um, down in England. Uh, do you really want to be going? Do we really want to be going down that route where we're picking up, you know, someone from the Scottish market or the lower league English market like that? I mean, what's well, I can't remember his name now. The the, the Stendhal or someone ends up at Hearts. You know, <laughs> I, you know, do you really want to be going down that route? I don't think so. So I explicitly said that you weren't allowed to cop out the answer by saying it's not your job, it's a club's job. And essentially what you gave me was an answer that said it's not my job, it's up to the club to do a due diligence. I would only point out, and I know it's not the current incumbent, but this club's due diligence in the past has got us Alex Muller and it's got us Steve Patterson. So um, anyway, uh, essentially you saying that you want something new and interesting and not on the merry-go-round just makes me think you're bored. There is a little part of that, I suppose. I mean, despite the fact that we've had, you know, the start of the season, we've been very impressed with the midfield and we're doing well. Uh, you know, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we had to try something different given the lack of Sam Cosgrove. And, you know, I don't want to say the manager lucked into, you know, how we, how we ended up with Marley Watkins in the front three because, you know, he's a better manager than just to luck into that. That would be, it would be an insult, insulting to say that to him. Um, but, I do think there is there is an element of, and not just myself. I think the no a lot of the a, a large selection of the people that you know would be there on a Saturday afternoon have you know have, have, are getting a bit tired of this. You no, know, they're, they're seeing, you know, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to go down the route. I didn't go down the route. I didn't want to go down here, um, but you know you go down and you know, people are kind of bored of you know, the same things. You no, know, we're seeing what a lot of people deem as failure in in the cups. Um, again, failure to secure the third place a couple of seasons ago was seen as a failure by people as well. A lot of people are disappointed that again we're getting just to the the, the point we do in Europe and we're not getting any further. Um, that that makes people restless. I, I understand with the European football that you know we're we're, we're equal in our, our seeding where we're getting where we should be. You know, as great as it would be, overperform. Um, and I promise I do understand why people wouldn't want a change, because, you know, people get t- people get the piss taken out of them for saying it. But you know, yes, we do remember Mark McGee. You know, we do. I know I was one of the ones who had had enough of Jimmy Calderwood as well. That final season was atrocious, um, and if, if if it gets if it gets that bad, uh, where the football is just so awful uh, and people are getting so restless, then I think perhaps a change might might be made. But you ha- the, no, the club got it wrong that time 
um, and you know, it, could, it can't be allowed to get it wrong if they go and make a change again. Isn't the fact, Chris, that supporting a mid-ranking team in a league completely disport, uh, you know, completely distorted by finance, it is going to be boring, isn't it? Well, it depends on what your, you know, and if, you if, you're, if your gauge is success, if your gauge is winning trophies, well, yeah. it is likely to be boring on that count. It will, and inevitably you will judge your team's performance and that of your manager to be failure if that is your gauge. I mean, if you look back through history, there's really only uh, only one manager that the club has ever had that's been able to deliver trophy success on a repeatable basis. Um, and that's been 117 and a bit years. So other than that, every other manager that we've ever had has been a failure, if that is your, uh, if that's your benchmark. We do, unfortunately, live uh, in a time and in a land where if and all things point to this being a reasonably accurate summation, if in football you get out of it what you put in in terms of your economic input, um, then we are in a league right now where Aberdeen's ceiling, if you like, is going to be third place. And we have uh, a manager who has returned that uh, for the club in five of his seasons here, uh, would have done so but for a last-minute penalty by Kilmarnock in uh, another one, and then could have done so last season had had it reached its natural conclusion. So I think it would be harsh to judge any of that uh, as failure. There are, of course, other uh, other reasons why people go and watch the game or sit at home and watch the game as we as we are at the moment. Um, and uh, and I, I I get the point that if the football were to kind of degrade to the point of being as uh, absolutely soul-crushing to watch as it became uh, in the later seasons of, of Jimmy Calderwood's reign, uh, then you know we have a different conversation to have. But at the moment, when the team is largely fit, uh, has most of its top players available, um, you know, it's still reasonably entertaining to watch, and the results that are being returned by it are under the the constraints of football in this money-driven era, um, on a par at least with those that, that we would expect to get out of it. Um, so in that respect, it's boring if you're, uh, if you're judging it by standards that really it isn't apt to judge it by. It's a very fair answer to what was a very leading question. Well, I guess... <laughs> um, Let's move on. I just want to talk about this briefly because we have obviously spoken about it before. But once again, we have a very impassioned, fairly belligerent, in fact, um, a statement from the club um, about trying to increase the number of fans into the games. Um, you know, calling out Jason, the chairman calling out Jason Leach directly um, for not responding to an email of his. I, I just wonder if in the middle of a pandemic that the uh, Jason Leach might have better stuff to do, but um, there's certainly some valid comparison to be made with other sectors um, and indeed other countries right now. But it, it's not going to work, is it? Let's be let's be absolutely clear about this. But what I am quite interested about Chris is 
we're not really hearing much from the other clubs on this, not to the same degree, certainly. No, that's uh, that's a fair point, but I think um, there aren't too many uh, of the Premiership clubs at the moment who are in the position of of being amongst the lower tiers of the um, of the lockdown regulations. I mean, it simply wouldn't be uh, in any respect plausible for there to be supporters inside the ground at Celtic Park, for example, however many you can have outside fighting with the police and shouting for the manager to be sacked. Um, it's, you know, the, the lockdown regulations are such that that's not even on the table. So I get where Dave Cormack is coming from in that respect, um, in terms of there's a little bit more uh, leniency and leeway in, in terms of what uh, people are, the public are allowed to do um, in the northeast and in the highlands as well. Um, so he does have a valid point, um, but equally it's a similar point to, to the one I hear being made by people who I think uh, go out of their way to try and make the regulations and allowances that are being made appear to be as conflicting and confusing as possible for their own benefit um, in order to make it look as if they are being put upon or, or whatever. We have to accept that we're in a situation where some people are going to be allowed to do stuff that other people would like to do but can't. But it's all in the, in the fact that fundamentally it's a balancing act. We need to try and understand that the country is in a situation where we need to do the best that we can to keep our children in school for as long as they possibly can be, to get the best education that they can possibly get, to keep vulnerable individuals with health, health conditions as safe as they can possibly be, to keep as many sectors of the economy afloat as is possible under the circumstances to keep people fed, safe, healthy, policed, etc. And in that, there are going to be tensions, there are going to be some things that look unfair, that look as if one group has something that somebody else doesn't. Um, and, you know, people will say, well, why are children still allowed to go to school and, and gather in school where they are more likely to... Um, to transmit it amongst one another than they would be if they went to visit their gran. Well, it's it's simply because that's the priority that there has to be at the moment. And as much as we all love football, uh, I think we can all accept that going to the game for us as individuals is not the number one priority at the moment. Uh, I think anyone who has school-aged children, as I do, would um, would say that if if I had to give up um, being able to go to the game for the entirety of the season in order to keep my children in full-time education, I would absolutely do that at the drop of a hat, no questions asked. Um, and and that's you know that is realistically where we're at. Dave Cormack, in his role as the chairman of a professional Premiership football club, is doing what he has to do to try and um, you know rock the boat and try and tip it in his direction as much as is possible. Um, but I, I'm sure there is part of him at the same time that is thinking that, you know, he is, um, he's, uh, he's, a, he's probably onto plums in all honesty, but he's, um, he's, he's doing it, uh, a little bit speculatively. Um, and just in the hope, I think that, um, you know, those that, those that shout loudest get served first. Um, but I'm sure he will also appreciate that. You know, people are genuinely doing the best that they can do in, a, in an unprecedented situation. And inevitably, some people are going to come out of it feeling as if they've been a little shortchanged or they've got the, the raw end of the stick, while other people um, have, have greater freedoms than, 
than they feel that they've been afforded themselves. But we'll see where it goes in the in the in the days to come. Um, I, I suspect you're right in that there's there's very little chance that um, that there will be any kind of significant loosening um, in terms of the ability of people to to begin going to matches anytime soon. But hopefully we'll we'll be in a position within the next month or two where we're looking at crowds of some sort um, back at Pataudry, albeit maybe not in the types of numbers that uh, that Dave's looking for. All right, so Saturday back to Paisley um, for, well, what is it going to be, Martin? Is it going to be part two of uh, what happened last Saturday or is the return of the Scotland under-21 trio going to be enough to swing things in our favour? Yeah, I, th- I think I think it certainly will do us, do us a hell, give us a hell of a boost. Uh, you know, um, it certainly makes the manager's job a lot easier. Um, no, you know, no disrespect to Dean and, and Ojo, but they will they'll come they'll be they'll come out, um, and Ferguson McCrory will automatically come back in. I think there, I don't think there's any question about that. It, it, it's certainly, yeah, well, yeah. I've like like I said like I said to you twenty minutes ago, whatever it was twenty twenty minutes ago. No, I've calmed down a bit now. Um, you know, this is the problem with doing the debrief where. You know, we're talking five minutes after the final whistle, and I and I want my I wanted blood. <laughs> Whereas now it's Tuesday, kind of kind of chilled out a little bit. I've made my peace with it. I didn't really want to win the Betfred Cup anyway, honest. Uh, so you know, I've kind of I'm 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 not going to say I'm over it because you know, I'm never going to be over it. But you know, I'm I've made my peace with it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I think that, you know those two those two particularly coming back. You know, I think Conor McLennan's another one as well. Uh, we were slightly critical, shall we say, of Marty Kennedy. Um, so I think those three coming back in will give us a big boost. It, it, make, no, it makes the squad no, look a lot healthier, gives us more options as well. Um, and I think that, no, I mean, I don't see us changing very much in terms of, you know, we're not going to change the formation and do something randomly, drastically different. But just as, you no, know, like we mentioned earlier, you, know, you rely on your best players. Two of our best players are coming straight back in. Um, hopefully, hopefully going to be at full fitness. Though I'd like to think they've been in the backy doing keepy ups um, and you know, running running as much as they can in the back garden, um, keeping keeping fit. So I think it, I think it just it, it's it's just completely different now. You know, we won't have have the, I think the worry that we the worries that we did going into Saturday because there was a there was a lot of worries. You know, even even with Wednesday as well. Um, so the the Hamilton game. You no, know, we were. There was we were very panicky going into it because we saw saw the weaknesses there. Um, I think that even you know, Michael Devlin, God for God's sake, he came on as well. You know, uh, so it, you know, we've now got a, maybe another option in the centre of defence. Defence we can play with as well because you know there was a lot of criticism of Ash Taylor, so that's perhaps something different as well. So this could be you know we could see day right no maybe four or five changes from this team we saw on Saturday night uh, and that. That is hopefully going to be for the better. Just, just finally, uh, I mean, we've been from a situation where we were looking at eight out last week. Um, the long-term injuries now are, are McGear Watkins, who wasn't our player in the first place, but Scott Wright, who is going to be out for a few weeks with a hernia issue. He's made a big, big impact this season. How, how much of a loss do you think he's going to be to the way this Aberdeen team sets up? Yeah, he's been uh, he's been a real key, and, and unexpectedly so. I think probably. Um, 
a lot of people would have expected coming into this season that this was really a, a, a make-or-break season for Scott Wright. He's reached the age now where he really had to start uh, nailing down a, a spot on the side or else um, you start thinking of uh, a way out at the end of the season. But he's he's been excellent. And I, I think particularly the understanding that he's had with Ryan Hedges has been really um, significant um, and impressive. I think the two of them seem to have, uh, they just seem to be on the same wavelength. And sometimes it happens that the players just really have a, an innate understanding of what one another um, is going to do. And, and they certainly seem to have had that and it's helped them both because they're two players who probably wouldn't have been in, in many people's starting eleven at the start of the season, but have become uh, key members of it. So he'll be a major, uh, a major miss whilst he's out of the side. Um, because I think he... Uh, he's been the main beneficiary, I think, of the, of the change in formation because it has allowed a position to be created that wasn't there previously that he can really uh, can really call his own. Uh, and he's, in a, in a similar way to, to Peter Pollock some years ago, uh, someone who had kind of become a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a forgotten man down the pecking order for the wide berths in the team, suddenly finds himself with the opportunity to grab this position off the front um, and you know bring his pace and his, his dribbling ability and his running with the ball um, to, to bear in a position that, that he'd never had the opportunity to really, uh, to really settle in before. So he's been great there. Um, and it'll be, it'll be a disappointment that, that he's missing. It will give opportunities to others, obviously, um, depending on who's playing in the wide positions. It could well be Hedges that's that's in there or potentially uh, McGinn. But whoever plays there is going to have a lot, of, um, a lot of work on and a lot of responsibility on their shoulders because that has been uh, because the, the change in formation has kind of tilted the wide players slightly further back the pitch a little bit. So that's meant that that kind of third midfielder position has been really the, the main avenue for, for creating chances for Aberdeen this season. So whoever finds themselves in there um, has, has, got, has got shoes to fill um, and, and hopefully writes back uh, sooner rather than later and able to, to really uh, nail down that, that spot for the foreseeable future. All right, that's our show for this week. Uh, thanks to Chris. Chris, the um, most recent edition of the Red Final. You didn't even have to get up your up off your arse to sell us outside Pitodri. Uh Do you want to remind people how they can get hold of it? Uh, to be honest, it was probably even more work than just standing about for an hour in the cold before the game. But uh, but yeah, we were, we uh, we did put together an issue in uh, I can't remember now if it was October or November. It was kind of the cusp, I think. I think it's got October on the on the cover but it was it was right at the end um people just chuck us the the cover price and enough to cover postage through paypal um and we send a copy out in the post and bob your uncle i think probably still about 75 80 percent of it is is relevant at the moment so if anyone's still interested and hasn't had one then uh, they can catch us on uh, on twitter or facebook at the red final and we'll give you the, the relevant details Indeed, and of course you can get the whole back catalogue of the Red Final 
electronically that is many evenings of lockdown covered for you if you were to go back to the what are we at now 130 odd or something away or 140 was the last well done well done Uh, anyway thank you very much for coming on Chris Uh, brilliant as ever and thank you Martin we'll be back next week Um, in fact we'll be back after the St Mirren game hopefully after that a better outcome than last week thanks for listening come on you Reds Thank you.